Hey, welcome to season one, episode six of the Jesse Castro Experiment. Today, just kind of kind of be rambling because I didn't really have anything prepared. I was quite busy today. And uh, as you can tell, this thing is supposed to be there at four o'clock. It's now 7.30 my time. Uh, but I still want to get it out there and I just want to talk about some of the things that are going on and that are happening. Uh, I'll start off with a little story. So if you don't know this, I am a pilot. I own an airplane. And when I was first starting to learn how to fly, uh, I would get in my plane and I'd get out to the airport and I would make my radio calls and take off. Well, one day I was going out there and uh, my plane was flooded and it was driving me crazy. I'm trying to start it, trying to start it, trying to start it and wouldn't start. And so you open up the doors and my doors are, they're called gullwing doors. So they open up like on a uh, DeLorean instead of like a, a regular vehicle. And so I opened up the door to look out and sure enough, I see gas down on the ground and that means that the, that the airplane is flooded so I'm, I'm frustrated and I just closed the door and for whatever reason I just decided to try it again well lo and behold it starts I'm excited I'm ready to go fly and I call the tower and I say Chandler Tower Zenith 24 Zulu Alpha in front of the tower with south departure information Zulu and he responds back and gives me uh, you know my signal to go ahead and go and I taxi to the active runway. I get to the active runway, do all of my checks, make sure everything is working fine, and uh, I get ready to go. It's my turn to get on, onto the runway and take off, so I start powering up and then I take off. Well, as I take off, I'm in the air, just starting to take off, and if everybody knows, I always make this joke. I always tell people, look, we can go fly. It's only a dollar to go flying but it's 500 to land. And it's just kind of a joke, right? Well, there's reasons for that. So when you take off and when you land, those are the two most dangerous times in an airplane. Well, I'm taking off. And remember, just a couple of, couple of minutes before, my plane wouldn't start and I shut my door. What I didn't do was latch the door. So as I'm taking off, I'm going up into the air, and all of a sudden my door starts to flap open and I have my left hand and I'm trying to reach out to grab the door and I have a ring on my finger, which is crazy. Thank goodness I didn't grab the door. It would probably rip my finger right off. That wind just finally eventually ripped the door completely off of my plane. And it was the most frightening thing ever because there was a gust of air coming into the plane that you don't normally get. And that gust of air took your breath away. It was really, really frightening. At the same time, I had to figure out where I was, what I was doing, because you panic. And in that panic, I thought, okay, what were you trained to do? Well, I was trained to fly with two fingers. So I only have two fingers on the yoke at all times. And that's because I was really heavy handed when I first started. And every time I would turn, or every time I would hold the, hold the handle, hold the yoke, I would force it to turn down. And uh, my instructor, used to get really, really pissed off at me and smack my hand. And so I learned to be very light on the yoke. And that would probably save my life because what I was trying to do when I reached out for that is I was, I would typically would have nosedived. But because I was taught to be light on that control, on that yoke, I was able to dip the nose, realize that I had plenty of uh, runway to, to land. So I boarded the flight, called the tower, and uh, you know, said Chandler Tower, Zena 24 Zulu Alpha, aborting the flight, aborting takeoff. 
and I land. Well, they watched everything happen. Well, as I land and I get over uh, back to my parking spot, they called down and they said, Zena 240 Alpha, is everything okay? Anybody hurt? And I said, nope, just my pride. But just about that time, Big Mike, he's one of the field guys out at the, at the airport, brings my door over to me. And it's, it's, it, it's crazy. It was the craziest thing ever. It's cloudy that day. Normally doesn't rain here. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Not, not a lot of rain. Well, that day just decides to rain. So I had to go get a tarp to cover my plane. I get a tarp, cover the plane, and go back and look at it a little bit later. I have pictures of it, and I'll, I'll, I'll post those pictures at some time so you can see this. But it was one of the most frightening things that have, have ever happened to me. And I'm going to tell you a couple of these stories, and then I'll get to the point at the very end here. There was another time I was flying into Casa Grande, which is in my, in my airplane. It's literally, you know, a five-minute flight, 10-minute flight at the most. Um, it's about a 20-minute drive. So I'm flying over there, and the Casa Grande airport doesn't have a tower. So you have to make all of your radio calls and tell people where you are in the traffic pattern. So I'm calling in and I'm telling people, you know, November 2-4 Zulu Alpha, I'm a downwind. And then I'm telling, you know, I'm calling my legs and I finally get into final, which is the last leg before you land. And I said, uh, November 2-4 Zulu Alpha, on final, full stop, runway five. Well, right as soon as I say that, somebody else gets on the radio and says, I'm on final as well. Where are you? I said, how are you on final when you just, you heard me making all my calls? It's not a good time to argue with people, right? So anyway, bottom line is the guy is directly under my plane. And so I slow down as far as, and as slow as I can go before I actually fall out of the sky. This guy is doing IFR training, meaning instrument rating training. And he didn't make his call until I made my call. So he comes in and they use a lot of, uh, they, they do a lot of shoots right from that area and they shoot down in and then they do what is called a touch and go where they'll touch the ground and then they'll take back off. Well, he was doing that and he did the touch and go. He was ahead of me, so I slowed way down before I fell out of the sky. And as I'm coming down uh, and, he, and I get ready to land, he is starting to take off. Well, when you do that and your propeller's spinning, you get, if you're close enough, you get these things called wingtip vortices. And they're little tornadoes that actually happen from your plane. So you can never take off behind a jet. If, if there was a jet taken off, they would make me wait two or three minutes before those vortices, so those vortices can get out of the way. Well, I'm coming down and I catch that vortice and my plane turns and it felt like forever, but it was literally just a second. And it, instead of flying straight, it was like vertical. That's what it felt like. I slam my foot into the rudder, I turn my yoke and finally get back up, get it, get it leveled out. I throw my flaps uh, down so that they can create the lift. I get lift back up and then I put my flaps back up. I'm irritated. I'm just pissed at this point. And so I go back up and I, I fly around and it's hot outside. You know, it's probably 108 at that time. I make my calls again and I come back down and I land. Now, Casa Grande, why, why Casa Grande? Because my mechanic lives over there. And I had a great deal with him. I did all of his computer work and he did all of my mechanic work on my plane. And it was a great deal for a long time. Well, I go and I pull up. My brother is at the airport. They're waiting for me because I was dropping my plane off to get its annual done. 
and my brother's sitting there waiting for me and I'm, I'm pulling up uh, to the, to the uh, hangar there and I get out of the plane, park the plane and a guy that I know who's a, a commercial pilot, he lives down the street from me. His name is Jim. I said, hey Jim, can you catch vortices from a prop? And he said, well, yeah. And my brother's eyes got about as big as baseballs. And I said, what? And he said, was that you? And I said, was that me what? He said, there was a plane that just went by and the guy's, the guy's wing was about six inches from the ground. I thought he was gonna die. Yeah, that was me. It didn't bother me at the beginning. And then as I started to leave, my brother and I got in the car and we started going back and heading back over to Phoenix. And on the way over there, I told him, stop, stop, stop. We need to turn around. He said, why? Did you forget something? I said, no, we need to turn around. So we turn around and we go back to the airport. And my mechanic was starting to pull my plane into, into the hangar. I said, hold on, Steve, don't, don't do that yet, please. He says, why, what's wrong? I said, I've got to go back up. He goes, you got to go back up? I said, yeah, I have to do this. And so I get back in my plane and I take off. And then I go flying around for another hour. I do several things in the air. I'm practicing a lot of things that I, that I was taught. Uh, and I come back down and I land. And then he says, everything okay? I said, yep, it is now. He takes my plane in, my brother and myself, we get back in the car and we head back to Phoenix. And he said, well, why'd you do that? And I said, because if I wouldn't have done that, I probably would never ever fly again. Because the image that was left in my head was six inches from the ground. And that's a scary thought. But I'm telling you this for a very specific reason. Because fear cripples people. Fear makes you stop. And it shouldn't do that. I'm known for doing these kinds of things. I'm known for having challenges and trials and tribulations and working through them. And I'm here to tell you the reason it's important to do things like I did, as I did, as I just described, is because your goal is on the other side of your fear. And it always has been and it always will be. So many of you out there are listening to this right now and probably thinking, yeah, I have fears too. And you do work through those fears. Me doing this podcast is a fear, not because I can't talk and because I don't know what to say, but because I just, I'm not comfortable doing it like I used to when I was a DJ, but I'll get there again. It's a fear. But on the other side of that fear comes a whole bunch of other benefits and those benefits is that I'm going to get better at this and you guys are going to enjoy more of the stories. I'm going to create better storylines. I'm going to tell you better things. It doesn't always have to be about IT. It doesn't have to be about security. It can be stories just like this. I'll bring other stories to your attention as well. And believe me, I have stories. My life is full of adversity. I've been, in, I've been doing stuff that, that people kept telling me that I couldn't do. I said, no way, you can't do that. There's no way nobody will let you do that. I'll give you a perfect example. I worked for a company as I was running my business and I was 
there full time? Well, I knew that I had to make a decision between my business and this company. However, that company was providing me a very good salary. And at the time it was a six figure salary and it was comfortable. It wasn't what I was used to, but it was comfortable. And I thought, you know what? I can stay here forever and not have to worry about any of these other things, but that's not me. And I had made the decision that I'm going to go back to my business and I'm going to grow it again. And so I had done, I had done that. But what I did is I told everybody, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell the people that I'm working for now that I'm going to work four hours a day. The rest of the time I'm going to work from my office remotely and they're going to continue to pay me the same amount. And everybody thought I was crazy. They thought there is no way that's going to happen. No way. Well, that's exactly what happened. I ended up being able to work for them for the first from six o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock in the morning. And I put a whole bunch of money away while I started growing my business. Growing my business so, so much that I'm in the process right now of trying to do something that people are telling me I'm crazy again. I'm going and I'm purchasing another business. People say, Jesse, the economy is doing bad. This is bad. That is bad. If you listen to those kind of people, you will never get anywhere. Now, people say that I take a lot of risk, but I'm here to tell you my risks are very, very calculated. Don't let what everybody else is telling you get in your way. If you have tenacity, if you have strength, and first and foremost, you understand what you're doing, you'll get through anything at any time. I don't care if the economy is bad. I don't care if the economy is good. If you know what you're doing and you have conviction, you need to follow your heart. The same people who told me that I couldn't work for somebody for four hours a day and get paid a full salary like I was, are working for me right now, helping me purchase this other business. Just think about that for a minute. So don't ever let anybody tell you you cannot do something. And this is something, I don't, I don't know, I think I learned this from my mom. And I, mom, thank you. When somebody tells me no, it, it, it's a motivator. It is a huge motivator for me. And I continue and will continue to do that as, as long as I'm alive. So don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something, especially if you know you can, regardless of the circumstances. Remember, at the end, it's fear that keeps most people from doing something. But on the other side of that fear is your goal. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hello, welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Jesse Castro Experiment. Today I want to talk a little bit about business because I have a colleague of mine that came up and asked me a question. And that question was, Jesse, how come you don't seem to have the same kind of issues that I'm having and we're about at the same uh, annual revenue? And he asked me if I'd go through with him what I do and, and take a look at, see, to kind of look at his books and see what, what's going on. And so I said, sure, we'll, we'll take a look at that. 
And we started going through his books and I started noticing the pattern right away. The very first question that I asked him is, what is your average MRR? MRR stands for monthly recurring revenue. And in the IT business, you do services for people, plus you have cloud applications and other things that you do. And they pay you every single month. It's on a contract. And his average monthly recurring revenue was $500 a month. Okay, based on that right there, I already knew what the problem was. I didn't even have to go any further, but I just listened to what he had to say and kind of continue. And even though our yearly revenues are close to the same, he's struggling and he's having a really hard time. This is why. At $500 a month per customer, it is going to take you just, we're going to use a million dollars as the baseline. It will take you 167 customers to reach a million dollars in revenue. Real simple to do. You take the 500 times the 167 times 12. Okay, that gives you the million dollars in revenue. The problem there is that you're also going to need 16 technicians. You figure one technician is going to handle about 10 of those companies. And all you're going to hear all day is chatter, 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 chatter. And the reason you're going to hear chatter, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you're going to hear chatter, but because you have so many clients, you have to take care of all of those clients. And there's going to be little tiny things that happen all the time. Okay. The reason those little things happen all the time, especially in the IT industry is because I'm telling you the smaller the client, the more tickets they put in. And the reason for that is because they're usually brand new to business and they don't know what they don't know. When he asked me how I did this originally, my first answer to him jokingly was the hard way because I did the exact same thing. So as we got to talking about this and going through what he does and how his metrics work and what metrics he should be looking for, uh, we came up with some really good information. But I want to just get to the heart of what this means. And so he asked me what my average MRR is. And I told him right now it's 2,500, but I'm pushing it to 5,000. We're going to get to that. If you take what I do at 2,500, let's just use 2,000 to make it easy. At 2,000 in MRR, I only need 42 customers to his 167 customers. Why is this important? Because at 42 customers, I only need a couple of technicians. And when I say, now remember at 167, I said 16 technicians, because that's one for every 10 technicians, right? I mean, every 10 companies. At 42, I only need two technicians. Why? Because when you go up that ladder and you're charging more and you're getting these types of clients, they've been around a while and they know exactly what they're looking for and exactly what they're doing. The chatter is a whole lot less. They understand a whole lot more. And that's the difference. So now think about this. If I go to to $5,000 in MRR, I'm only going to need 17 customers to reach that same million dollars in revenue. And then I only need one technician. Think about that for a little bit. 
I'm going to start shortening these messages up because 15 minutes is a little bit long, especially if I'm doing it every single day. I'm going to continue to do it every single day so I can get better at it, uh, but I'm going to keep them around, you know, between three and seven minutes. So I just want you to think about that for a little bit. If you're in business, if, especially if you're in the IT business or any service business, you can only make money or you can only gain money two ways. Did that come out right? I don't want to say it like that. The only way to advance things is one of two ways. You have to increase the amount of customers you have or you have to increase your dollar price. And if you can do both of those, that's really good. But you have to figure out where you stand. I'm telling you, if you're in the in the uh, IT space, when you first start out, you take anything that comes your way. And that's just typical. That's what most of us do because we're all techs first. I mean, I was a brilliant tech. That's why I started my business. I was the worst, believe me, the worst business guy out there. I didn't understand business at all. I had no business background. Everything I know about business has been the hard way. I learned it the hard way. I've learned more about business in the last four years than I did in the first 20. And that typically is how it goes. You look at somebody like like, uh, Apple or somebody like Microsoft, you think they happened overnight. They didn't. It was a 25-year journey before they ever became who they are. And it's because you go through those processes. And you had some brilliant dudes on that end. I mean, you had Steve Jobs. This guy's amazing. But I'm telling you, business is not easy. But when you understand basic little concepts like that, you'll start to understand how to make money and how to become profitable. Because you can always make money, but you don't want to just work for wages. Otherwise, it's not worth running a business. It's really, really hard, really, really challenging. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk tomorrow.